I want to I jump into the text today um, in such a way. I'm, in so many ways, if time would permit, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that time could permit, I don't, I don't want to take those liberties. I would kind of want to back up now as we come to the end of um, Paul's argument, Paul's um, statement about how um, divisions are so anti-gospel. Um, but if we go all the way back to the beginning of the letter, uh, particularly verse 10 of chapter 1, you see, you see him addressing this issue of divisions. And then he kind of goes through um, chapter 2 by talking about wisdom and how the wisdom of the world is so much different from the wisdom of the kingdom. And then we end up back in here in chapter 3 where he now unpacks what that should mean for us. Now he gives us an application of how we should um, and adapt ourselves to this reality that the wisdom of God is nothing like the wisdom of men. But what I want to do is I will read through chapter 3 and just kind of get the full um, breadth of his application and then I would like to pray with you and then I would like to unpack um, all that we've been learning in this. And so, uh, again, in what I, I guess I will continue to entitle Ecclesiology 101. I guess we can call this part two. So, if you're reading with me, please um, turn um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter, um, but obviously today we're going to be looking particularly from verses 18 to 23 and, and unpack that. But let's get the full weight of Paul's argument and then jump in. I'm reading from the ESV, but please do follow in whatever translation you have. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive the wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen. Father, we are thankful this morning that you've, uh, again, given us this privilege to come and connect. Um, not merely, Lord Father, um, you know, with us in the local body, dear Lord Father, and obviously those who um, are maybe tuning in, Father, from different um, local churches. 
but Lord, ultimately with you. Lord, again, you know, as this very scripture teaches, we are but conduits, even as teachers here, conduits to who you are, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that ultimately that you will connect with your church today through what, we, um, through, through what I unpack today, dear Lord God. May you again um, deliver it as your spirit only can into each individual so that they may apply it to themselves in such a way, dear Lord Father, that um, will make it relevant for them and that your work in them will again be increased and uh, again continue to bring forth fruit. So this is what we're praying for, fruitfulness in our lives. So help us, dear Lord God, as many as are willing to hear, to hear your word and respond to it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me do a little recap. And so obviously last, um, last week we were looking at the whole idea of the church's relevance. You know, we can't sit and diver somewhere in the middle because obviously none of us are bold enough to say, well, um, the church is of no relevance. But yet, we're also not so bold as to say the church is of infinite relevance. So some of us, we, 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 we tend to differ somewhere in the middle where we try to say, well, it's important, but maybe not as important as certain other things in our lives. And as such, we live our lives accordingly. But again, I, I, I left us with this whole idea of identity, about the issue of identity of, Christ, of our, our, our Christian identity and how much that is meshed into the church. I use the words meshed because I don't believe that our individuality is diluted into the church. I believe that it is meshed as in that it's interwoven into, into the church. So in that sense, the individual is maintained, but also the community is also is greatly involved. And so we become, as it were, a thread within the tapestry of God. And so we looked at this whole idea that the church is God's work. And so if we neglect to be, as it were, part of God's building or God's field, is the metaphor that Paul uses, then there are real issues with who we are. And in a sense, we become Christians, quote-unquote, but we can't really establish the identity. So in order to unpack this further, we need to be aware of our own cultural blind spots, and in particular the fact that we can overplay our cherished freedoms as individuals. As we are in part of a democratic society, we also can play that card within the way that we treat church. So, for example, if we don't like what's going on in church, and not necessarily for gospel issues, but for our own personal preferences, we can, as it were, vote with our feet. We have our democratic right to choose to be wherever we want to be. And in that sense, we shop around for a better church, like people might shop around for a better job, uh, a, a better grocery experience, or even emigrate and go to a, a nation where you feel like, that suits me. And again, obviously, we live in a part of the world where that's very much cherished and has its rightful place. But can we treat God's church like that? Is it a place where we can say, well, I'm going to use my democratic right to vote? Because to some extent, as I said, we start to cheapen the church. So even now in this national lockdown, which denies us certain freedoms for the sake of the greater good, it is testing us because now we are forced to live in a different way. We've been forced to live, as it were, where we have to live for the greater good, even for those of us who suspect that we would, even if we got this, um, this virus, that we would easily be able to pass off with, with mild symptoms, we have been forced by our government to consider our neighbour, especially the elderly, especially those who obviously have respiratory issues. And even, as it were, as we saw recently um, this week, to, to, to appreciate our NHS that we do not want to overwhelm them by just doing whatever we want. We are now living in a world where we have been forced to consider our neighbor by staying in, by giving up our freedom. And that should speak to us. We may rightly believe that our commitment to Christ at a certain time and place in our past is all that really matters. And you can say that I'm a Christian. 
yeah, I, I, at certain point, certain day, I, I made a commitment to God and I got baptized on such and such a time. And again, no doubt if you've been a believer for a while, you may have that kind of testimony. But to kind of, as it were, limit our Christian experience to that would be wrong. Because in a sense, what we did when we, we made that commitment to Christ was we committed ourselves to a process and not to an event. A process in which we have now joined the community of Jesus Christ. So, again, like we are finding ourselves now, we are here to serve the greater good at the cost of our personal freedom. There is a tension that needs to be understood correctly. That, for example, in justification, that experience that you had with God at some point in some time, at some place in the past, was something that was very much part of our individuality. In other words, it was me responding to the gospel, and rightly so, we alone must give an account and testify to what God has done in us. In that sense, our individuality is very much important. And so justification represents that part of the work which has to come and be addressed by the individuals. In that sense, this is why we say as, 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 as preachers and teachers that God has no grandchildren. You're not a, a Christian by, by the fact that you were born into, quote-unquote, a Christian family. You have to make that decision yourself. But it's in sanctification that we are called to be a community. We cannot be a church of one breaking boards in our bedroom. Now, for those of you who have been familiar with my um, teaching in the past, I use the term breaking boards because I've, I've, I've basically got that from Bruce Lee. Any of us who have seen Enter the Dragon, he sees uh, Bruce Lee about to fight um, this, this man who's breaking boards in front of him, and Bruce Lee says to him, boards don't hit back. Now, I find that helpful because that's what so many people who are a church of one are doing. They're in their bedroom breaking boards and thinking that they're an awesome Christian. <laughs> and they're going, look, here I am. I'm, I'm in that person. I'm in the zone. I'm getting all this revelation and bam, breaking boards. Bam. And then they, they come into a community where maybe they chest their feet and they come into and then they suddenly realize that boards hit back. <laughs> or people hit back. I laugh because I was one of those people breaking boards. So we're there thinking that we're the, we've arrived because in a sense we've got so much control over our Christian life. Breaking boards in our bedrooms, thinking that we are something awesome and haven't really committed to a real fight. But sanctification is important because along with justification, which builds our personal testimony, it's actually in sanctification that we start to get to a point where the church now joins in with our testimony and now testifies alongside us that God has indeed done a work in us. In other words, sanctification needs the community simply because our testimony cannot just be one in which we say, I believe that God has done this. It is also there for the community to come alongside you and say, I can see the work of God in you too. And that's why we need the church. And that's why we need that community because it's not enough that our justification becomes our identity. Sanctification in the community needs also to help define who we are. And obviously, we could talk about glorification, which, again, has relevance, but only in the future sense, in the eschatological sense. But that ultimately puts us in a place where all that we are experiencing now, the difficulties, will be removed. And we would have that perfect peace with one another, which we all long for. But right now, we have to deal with the fight. So... This leads me to my last point of my introduction, which is that this is one of the reasons why I'm against branding churches. 
This is me personally speaking because we can fall in love with a form of church that can, be, can become resistant to change. It becomes a reflection of our own preferences. So we only sing certain types of songs, have certain types of preachers, and ultimately make the environment welcoming for only certain types of people. In the long term, it could also lead to a pride that you've arrived at becoming God's ideal church for your time and place and assume that anyone else who doesn't agree is just part of the kingdom of darkness. This is not also to say that I'm in favor of the extreme, that we just come in and do whatever it is. Not at all. We have to work hard and we just have to make the gospel the heart of all that we do and allow a culture to develop from the gospel itself, which is exactly why we're in this text. The gospel is our brand. And at the end of the day, we cannot make the gospel more attractive than it is. This is why Paul labors in you know, chapter 2 of this very same epistle, this very same letter. It's just basically foolishness. So we avoid those extremes of trying to become a certain type of church in a certain type of way or being a church that ultimately we just come together and see whatever happens. And we are just say, let the gospel create a culture for us. Let's just do that. Let's just love one another. Let's try to do things well. Let's try to support one another. And that's how we do church and develop a culture. Because the danger of doing it to suit our culture is that we become, as it were, partisans to a particular type of church like we see in our text today. The Church of Apollos the church of Paul, the church of Cephas, the church of Jesus Christ. And then Paul obviously leads Paul to say, is Jesus divided? So let's jump into our text and, and start to unpack that and then get to um, an application that I think that ultimately will, will help and serve us well. So verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. There's a real cause for you to be engaged in the developing a Christian worldview. This is what chapter 2 was about, that we really need to actually understand that I cannot survive as a Christian on the knowledge that I had previous to being a Christian. In other words, I have to actively be involved in developing a worldview that helps me to understand the gospel in which saved me. This is what I've called um, the tradition of faith-seeking understanding. It's not enough. And I say also in, 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 on top of that, it's not good enough to borrow the wisdom of pastors as though they are professionals. Like doctors who we can come to whenever we have an issue. This is not to say that we don't come to pastors. Obviously, I will kind of deal with that in a little bit. But being a Christian is like being a parent. We cannot defer the responsibility to someone else which rightly belongs to us. When we become a parent, we have to take the decision to parent my own child. But at the same time, it doesn't also cut us off from asking advice from other people how to parent. So in that sense, we, 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 we may ask advice, but we, we still bear the load. And this is what we do as a Christian. We, we don't say, well, it's down to the pastor to make me, to, to, to fix all my issues. It's that, you know, like the doctor will come and write a prescription. We're not professionals in that sense. We're just other Christians, like other parents, as parents come together and they say, well, how do you get your Billy to eat um, broccoli? But you don't invite us to come and feed Billy broccoli the way that we do it. And so often that's what we're asking for, is that you do it for me. So we cannot defer the knowledge that we have and, you know, let, you know we need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom that God has said he freely gives us. Read James 1. Freely gives it. 
And it's not like one of those free gifts which, you know, are quite pointless. It's a free gift that really actually makes a difference. It's like, what, you're giving this free? You know, I don't know, like free tickets to Jamaica. <laughs> you know, free? What? It's crazy. And that's what we should do. That's how we should be like. You know, it's like if we found a source where, you know, I'm going to give you the wisdom of God, it's like, what? You give that for free? Like free degrees, free MBAs, you know, free PhD courses. Things that people really value. So that wisdom is actually available to us and we should tap into it. So verse 19 tells us that the wisdom of the world is folly with God for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And so, so if we do not engage with God on his own terms, then we stand to be out of sync with God and the way he communicates. In other words, if you're relying on that wisdom of the world in order to kind of like say, well, I can just, I'm a pretty smart guy. I've, you know, I've, I've been to college. I've, you know, I've got some O-levels, some A-levels and whatnot, some GCSEs. I'm pretty smart. I should be able to figure out this Christianity stuff. Then I have to tell you, no. You may not be smart enough. Because the problem is, like with rationalism or, or, or the enlightenment in general, it, it moves the standard of wisdom to myself. In other words, I can stand in a corner um, in my own understanding of, 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 of how the, way the world works and say, God must make sense in my understanding. And we refuse to give way. We refuse to try to understand the dynamic. And this is obviously, when you look at the history of the church, how liberalism crept in. Because they were looking at it as, in, as children of the Enlightenment and said, God must make sense to me on my own terms, in my own way, in the world in which I live. So if I'm a, if I'm a German living in a, a little German town where everything works on clockwork and everybody does the same thing every day, then ultimately, everything else in the world must address this. Everything else must descend into that cultural wisdom. God must be a German, like me. Or God must be a Brit, like me, and sees the world the way that I see the world. <coughs> this, this should ring alarm bells for us because it should actually bring us, brings us all the way back to Genesis 3, to the beginning of why we are in a world plagued with sin, why we're in a world with COVID-19. Because man has taken upon himself, I, I say in jest, to eat bat meat. <laughs> if that truly is the origin, but we have looked at something and said, it's good to eat. It's good, so therefore, let me put it into my body. And, and again, it's, it's this form of knowledge that ultimately revolves around our senses. It looks good, smells good, feels good, tastes good, therefore it must be good. However, it was not good. So this whole idea that I, I, I can live without revelation, I can, I can live, I have to sit and digest information that but bypasses my brain, that bypasses my understanding of the world, is very real. Man must live by revelation. And even if it looks good, and the Lord says it's not good, we are not to consider the Lord to be unfair or even irrational. Because he denies us that good. Verse 20. So the Lord looks and knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. You know, if time would permit, it's a great point to do a segue. And I, and I guess I encourage you at home to maybe look at Job 28. Because... This is the passage, I think, that really kind of helps to unpack what Paul is saying here. If you turn to Job 28 in your own time, uh, maybe some point today, look at that. 
because it unpacks that, that whole understanding of, 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 of what it means to look at man's knowledge in comparison to God's knowledge. You know, and if you look at Job 28, it's, it's, it doesn't mean that we are to assume that everyone who does not have a Christian worldview is an idiot. But rather it means that though they may have a good understanding of something in a very narrow field like geology, so you know, Deuteronomy 28 is pretty much about the, the man as, a, as the ultimate geologist, going into the depths of the earth and plundering it and, and, and making deep caverns into the world and, and plundering the riches out of darkness. And, and this is great. Job is looking, look, out, look what man can do, how to discover things. I mean, you know. Iron ore doesn't grow like trees. They've had to dig down and figure it out. And this is what he's saying. And Job is looking at these and saying, great, look at what man can do. I, I, I take us and I look at, the, look at the cities we've built. Look at planes flying in the air. Man is no idiot. He is fearfully and wonderfully made. There are great things in which we have done. We are not going to, I do not belittle the, the doctor, the engineer. This is not what we're doing here. There's big stuff. Yet, they will lack the broader universal knowledge. So a geologist can tell you what something is on a scientific level, but not how or why it is on a theological level or a philosophical level. In other words, they can discover stuff and they can say, and they can tell you what it is. But the how and the why, that's not the field of science at all. But the problem with now, with our quote-unquote scientism, science as a religion, is it now has tried to take on board this theological and philosophical task and say, we can also tell you why it is which is, again, completely wrong. And it's completely against their own rudimentary principles. They cannot tell you why. And so this leads so, to so many who, again, who are listening to um, these popular atheists and who are introducing them to a world of meaninglessness as they dress up in their suits and brush their teeth and eat their food. And they tell you that the world is meaningless and we're all determined and that we are all basically on the rails and there's no way of escaping it. That's what they sell us. And so many people are eating it up. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours. You know, God is the great equalizer. When he has us, we have the advantage of accessing all the kingdom. It's not to say that we will access all the kingdom, but the kingdom is available to us because we are a part of that kingdom now. A kingdom that is not divided in class or ethnicity or gender. Again, Galatians 3, 27 to 29 is another place where Paul expresses this very self-same truth, that we are truly equal. Therefore, we can benefit from all he has to offer. So when you understand this, you see that the kingdom of God is not like a football team or a football community or a fashion industry in which you express your appreciation for the whole by becoming a fan of one team or one brand. Or even in appreciation for the political when we engage in the partisanship to a specific party or a political theory and often to the detriment of vilifying those outside of our camp. And this is exactly what the Corinthians are doing and this is exactly, if we're going to be honest, what we're doing today. You know, I, I express my appreciation for football by only being a fan for one team. I express my appreciation for fashion by only um, looking at the brands that I think identify with me and I ignore all the other brands. 
and obviously in the political field, this goes to the point of not only denying that the other brands exist, because obviously you can't do that in the political, you now vilify them and say, well, everybody on the left, of my opinion, is, 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 is an idiot and are stupid and are evil people. And then everybody to the right of what I believe is ultimately, again, an idiot, stupid and vilified. And so what we do is that we get involved in this game where rather than see the whole, we actually express our appreciation for the whole by saying, this is the narrow field in which I now say that I will engage. And no more. But Paul is actually revealing, actually, no, the whole field is relevant to you. The whole of what I've revealed, the whole of what I'm building through men and women around the, the, the world is actually for you. Regardless of whether you particularly feel, well, I particularly like Paul's teaching or Paulus's teaching. Actually, Paul has something to teach you as well. Apollos has something to teach you as well. So we don't engage in the kingdom of God as other people engage in broad fields that we see around us. All is yours. All brands are relevant to you. All teams are relevant to you. All political theories are relevant to you. That would be the application if you took it into those particular fields. The whole of what God is doing amongst his churches around the world is relevant to you. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, the present future, all are yours. This has implications for us now, as well as for the future kingdom, where we assume that there will be no denominational divisions. We can have a narrow taste for our Christian, Christianity to certain teachers or churches or denominations, but we have to come to terms with the fact that the church, with a capital C, will naturally transcend our personal preferences. You know, so right now we're engaged here at Ecclesia on the local church level with church on a small c because, again, we are just a church and an expression of it. But when we think of the church in a, on the spiritual level of all those who are believers, all that have genuinely come to, to, to God, that's what we call church with a capital C. God's church, God's work. And, to, and, and, and for that sense, it transcends the local church. It transcends our personal taste. In other words, God is doing something amazing in so many different places that we cannot always appreciate them. Obviously, because we can't be everywhere. And obviously, because we are a certain person within a certain culture, we cannot necessarily engage and appreciate what God is doing elsewhere. But nonetheless, it's still true that God is at work there too. So as such, we can naturally cut off aspects of God's kingdom that have been given for our benefit. So it's also worth noting here that our favorite teachers or churches or denominations may also fall outside of the kingdom entirely or be of little benefit to your spiritual development. So this is going back to that whole idea of how one builds on that temple. And, and here I just want to note that sometimes, again, and I, and I put my hands up here where I've been involved in sensationalized ministries. And to get, you know, it's easy here to kind of pick on the, on the, on the um, prosperity gospel. But even now I have to add and say, you know, looking at some of the things that some, somebody sent me, a, a brother sent me this week, you know, I even have to say that there are some ministers who are building end-time ministries, talking about the end times, and I believe that a lot of their stuff is just going to get burnt up. Not relevant. Everyone with their theories of this is what's going on, and I, I've seen the end of the world, and, and you know, come on. And I know sometimes it tickles us. Is it, oh, okay, let me have a little look in there. But so many people's ministries who have been built, literally that's all they do, are going to be built, burnt, 
to the ground because obviously time has passed and nothing that they said has happened. Even though they themselves may be saved. So some of the things, like I said, we, we, we may fall entirely out of the kingdom. Some of the people that we're following and, and trying to gain knowledge from and trying to build ourselves on, and, and we've got to be discerning. We've got to be wise. We've got to really knuckle down and say, what is this about? And in our final verse, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So as God's temple or God's field, we must be rightly unified because that is the right response to the reality of the church. Here we see Paul slowly building towards his more direct call for unity in diversity in, in chapter 12. So for those of you who know First um, Corinthians um, well, we know that chapter 12 is the great call to unity in diversity. And, and so that's coming, and he's building himself up towards that. But to some extent, before you can really have uh, a call for church to be really unified and for church to really actually have that, you've got to deal with all these, um, as one <laughs> biblical narrator says, you have to deal with the little foxes. You've got to deal with the little issues. Because in a sense, you can't just talk about the church being unified without speaking about the specific issues that get in the way of that. Like taking brothers to court or sleeping around and, you know, having favorite teachers. All those things have to be discussed before you can start talking about the church being unified and start looking at how we come together, as Paul Willett will do, as believers, like taking communion. How do we do worship? How, how we come together? How we prophesy? How we have the word administer? All these things, our personal preferences, our way of living our lives according to the standards of the world, these have to be addressed first. And so it is with us as well that before we can start to say, well, when we will see uh, church as I think it ought to be, well, let's start addressing about that ought to be in you. Because that ought to be might be just your personal preferences trying to trump what God is trying to do. So we're challenging that oughtness that comes only from us. So that God's way can ultimately be given full leverage. So application, what do we do? Well, what do we say to these things? Well, we need a bigger picture of the church, even if we cannot claim to fully understand it. In other words, we have to start to testify to the fact that the church is bigger than me and what I think it ought to be. And there must be an acknowledgement that it's much bigger than me because it simply is. And we are just, as it were, going back to my beginning, meshed into it, into the community. This is the reason why the person trying to do church by themselves is so completely lost in the smallness of themselves. And they cannot come to terms with any believer that doesn't tick all their boxes because it's so small. You, can't, you can only see the church in your own terms and not how Jesus Christ, who has called the church from various places, all you can see is it from your own perspective and you just can't get along with anybody else it's not because your view of church and view of God is so big it's because you are so small Here it's also worth noting how strongly Paul is not just resisting sectarianism, the whole idea of, of people being in different factions and, and groups. He's by upholding the universal nature of the church. Again, the church with the capital C. He's, he's trying to say, look, man, all is yours. All is for the taking. All ministers, even the boring ones, have something as long as they're preaching the gospel for you too. 
So it makes it clear that though there are differences in Peter and Apollos, you know, in style of ministry, they nonetheless are still drawing from the one gospel. You know, if people are preaching the gospel, you know what? They've got something for you. Even if they're slow of speech, like, like Moses, right? Can't quite get with his personality, can't quite get with his, his charisma or his lack of charisma, you know? Some of us who, again, it flips the other way around. You know, sometimes we're judging people because they've got too much charisma, <laughs> too much personality. There's something for us all. So the whole kingdom is your oyster. So why confine yourself to one small corner of it? Why kind of sit and say, well, this is what we do. This is the brand we want. This is the part of the kingdom I feel most comfortable. And let's just live here. You've got the freedom of the city. Use it. So what have we learned, particularly through this first section of, of, of Corinthians? Firstly, I think kingdom wisdom is not like worldly wisdom. And if we had to choose between one or the other, then we should ultimately choose kingdom wisdom. But it's best to have both. It's best to be street smart, College smart if you need to, to get whatever you need to do in life. But ultimately, don't let that be a replacement for the fact that you need the kingdom wisdom, the faith-seeking understanding. You need all of it, really. So this is not me saying, you know, just, you know, go to Bible college and forget everything else. No. I'm saying you need all of it because, you know, street smarts, academic knowledge, but kingdom knowledge is the most valuable because... When all that worldly knowledge passes away, it's the only knowledge that will count. And obviously this is, I mean, I could go into the whole idea, well, you know, will it really all pass away? Because, again, we've got a new heaven and a new earth, right? We've got to start rebuilding again. Amen. Like the economy and everything else is going to need rebuilding after we go through this crisis. So my second point. The church is of infinite importance. I mean, I, 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 left, I left that out there as a question, but obviously you know where I fall because it is the work of God, the, the work of the triune God. The Father loves his church. Jesus says, let me go get them for you and do what I need to do. And then the Holy Spirit says, you know what? Even as you're away from them, Jesus, I'm going to comfort them. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to keep them reminding them that this is, you know, that we love them and that the Father's love is there for them and I want to empower them to do the things that they need to do. So it's the work of God. And so, as I said, your identity in the, in, in, is wrapped up in that. Are you going to deny the work of God? And that leads to my third point. It says, the believer has a real dilemma if they choose to opt out of church life or not take it seriously. In other words, that sporadic, and we spoke, we spoke very briefly last week about that sporadic attender. Because our identity as Christians are at stake. So earlier I, I introduced sanctification. It's stifled because we need the multitude of other believers to come and testify to the work of God in us. In that sense that our identity is that we are, we are moving from justification, that, that which God has done to me on an individual level, and we're moving into that realm of sanctification. And we need the church witness to come alongside us to say, God is indeed at work in you. And it helps to establish us, and it helps build our own confidence because we, may, we will obviously go through times where we doubt whether we're even believers. And other believers can come and say, no, I, I believe the world is continuing to do a work in you. Stay strong, brother. Stay strong, sister. So that sense, we need to hold to the identity that we have because, as Paul says, we are that building and we are being meshed together into God's building of God's field. And, for, and fourth and finally, our temptation now, and this is what we've been dealing with now, is to limit my, ourselves into one corner of the kingdom. 
to the detriment of squashing my identity and saying, well, this is the only way I'm going to be a... T- this. And if I have to choose to be a Christian, but I'm going to identify with this particular denomination or this style of ministry or this style of teacher, and I'm not going to have anything to do with anybody else. I mean, in some ways... The good thing about that is that we really do have to limit ourselves. We can't listen to everybody all the time. But the same time is that if we find ourselves limiting in where we are getting that teaching from time to time or, or from, from day to day or week to week, then we need to suddenly realize that like our, like our basic food diet, that we're going to need protein with, the, with, 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 with some of the, the, the other nutrients we can get. So it's not just meat. We need the vegetables. We also need the rice and we need the potato. We need to have a balanced diet within the kingdom. We need to have a bit of everything that we need to do. Just the same way we read the Bible on the basis that we've got so many biblical writers from from many different ages at different points, and yet it's one gospel. So in that sense, we take our gospel from the whole Bible, not just from the New Testament, but we take the gospel even from the Old Testament and we, and we allow all the biblical writers to impact our lives. And so it is with the kingdom. And so that's my final code. That, you know, my final thing is that there's no postcodes in the kingdom. There's not like, oh, you know, I can't walk into this end. <laughs> or I can't get into, the, you know, because man's is going to get beaten up. The kingdom is yours. And rightly so. So let's, Get a bigger vision, you know. I like one of my favorite quotes from, um, from the movie Jaws. For those of you who know that movie, you know what's coming. We're going to need a bigger boat. Because <laughs> you start to see the beast that comes out. And you suddenly realize, here I am. Trying to catch, you know, some ordinary white, you know, shark. But man, and he looks and he says, we're going to need a bigger boat. And, I, and that should be you right now. You should be looking and saying, boy, I've been doing the kingdom so small. I'm going to need a bigger boat. So let's press the Lord for what he's doing. Kind of alludes to John 21, isn't it? The big boat to catch the big fish. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful today that you are teaching your church, you are growing your church, and, and not just, Lord Father, in this age. Obviously, we're, we're looking at the, the ages past. We're looking at 2,000 years ago and seeing what you're doing there, Lord God, and realizing that, again, it's the same work of laying that foundation or reminding us of that foundation and building wisely upon it. So here, Lord Father, at Ecclesia, we're thankful, Father, for the work that you're doing, the, the way that, you know, we've seen so many people reinvested in, in, in seeing that we build faithfully, dear Lord God. And not just for us, dear Lord God, but for the future as we see our children. We have a very young church, Lord, and we've seen our children grow, and we want them to see good examples of what it is to build a church. Lord, I pray that, Father, we also show them our faithfulness to it. That, Lord Father, that, that church isn't a summit we do, Lord God, every now and then but it's something that we are committed to. So my prayer there, Lord Father, is that we, 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 we do church well. And not because, Lord God, it's just about attending and just being here, but Lord, we want to be a part of your work. We want to put our sleeves up and come alongside um, our fellow believers and ultimately the triune God and say, Father, you know, we want to be involved. The field is indeed white unto harvest. Let us go out there. We're living in desperate times, Lord God, and there's an opportunity to go out there and do some real good. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you just help us to do that work. Help us, dear Lord, Father, if, for those of us who, who need to repent right now and say, Lord, I want to get right back in there and, you know, just deal with the embarrassment of kind of coming back and being involved again. You know, just get over it because we love you and we want to be here alongside you and support you and add to your testimony. And say, yes, indeed, God is at work in you. So, Lord, we, we, you know, we pray for those who, who are in that position who, who just want to come and, and get involved. And maybe even not here in Ecclesia, but some local church. But get dug in. See yourself past the point where your, your own frustrations will come in and, and start to get to the point where you're able to bear even with those people who rub, rub against you in the wrong way. And start to say, yeah, maybe God is doing a work in me through this because, again, I'm quite small, aren't I? And I'm not all there is that God is doing. And I might need that brother who's rubbing or my sister is rubbing against me. I might need to listen to them. 
I might need to respond to them differently. I'm, I might need to allow God to do some work in me through them. And Lord, again, we, you know, maybe we have been committed there, Lord Father. Maybe we're getting weary. You know, we've, we've seen that there, Lord Father. And no doubt for those who've, who have become pillars there, Lord Father, we, you know, continue to strengthen us. Don't let's get weary in well-doing. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, you know, having done all to stand, he has nothing more to say than stand therefore. I can't offer you, he cannot offer you a bailout. Go and sit down for a little while. Just stand. The Lord hasn't called you home, then there's work to do. And Lord, for maybe those of us who sit somewhere in the middle, been a bit involved and been less involved because, again, we've been distracted by other things and maybe even good things there, Lord Father. You know, I've married a wife or started a new business or whatnot there, Lord Father. But yet, nonetheless, they may be getting to that point where they're getting a bit confused about who they are. And, and they suddenly realize that, the, that being anchored in that local church, ultimately you've been robbed of that identity, that ability to, to see yourself as a believer, not just merely as as the person you're trying to make yourself to be. So, Lord, I just pray you, 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 you speak to that person too. Draw them close to you, dear Lord Father, and, uh, and allow them, Lord God, to maybe even just reorder the busyness of their lives so that they're able to understand that they need to be involved in the work of God. So, Lord, we are thankful, Father, for, for these things, and we thank you for the ministry that goes out now. And I pray that, Lord, wherever we are, that we will be able to respond in a way. And, and, and even though we're not meeting, as it were, as, as we, we ordinarily would, but that somehow people will get stuck into the work. They'll you know, pick up the phone and, you know, and, and just encourage somebody or just up their commitment. But either way, Lord, have your way, we pray, because this is your church. This is your building. This is your field. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.